Tim Green and I, we we do the same. Uh, he does. He plays with the Connection Band across the street from where I am. Right. He's playing. He's up there. playing R and B, or you know what I mean. Whereas yeah. I'm playing. Rock. I'm sure we hear each other. Yeah, it's like it's like sets of overly skilled people playing, um, playing down there, like as if it was Panama Beach or something. You know. Yes, <laughs> very much so. But depending on who's in town is the level of which you know you can act like a rock star. You know what I mean? It's like there's some nights when there really are. I mean, regardless of the, of the content, the people are super into having a good time, and I think even to the most jaded of players. It's still there's a physical side of that that's that's fun. You mean just because of how long you have to? And also to just like if to, because you have how long you have to play. Like when there's a room full of people and they cheer for you, that you it, it, it just makes it, it just makes your job easier and more pleasant. Hmm. Because everything you do is like hooray, you know. And when you're overplaying to the level that I am out there, what do you think the audiences get out of that? I, you know, I don't know, but sometimes, you know what I get sometimes when I come off stage? Um, the people, the, you get people who are into guitar, mm-hmm. and then they'll say things to me like, you're the you're the best guitarist I've ever seen. And then I always, I have my, my line ready, which is, well, then you need to see more guitar players. You need to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not putting myself down. I'm, I'm sure they're being honest. I might be yeah, the they best are. they've ever seen. But I was like, you know, I, in my mind, I think of who my icons and idols are and things like that. And, you know, well, maybe it's that you know they're finally. Um, at, I hate to say it, but maybe Bourbon Street has just opened up a moment as they've ever had in their life. It's and, true. <laughs> and true. They finally noticed. Also, something, you see, uh, you're seeing something very close too. That's the other thing. It's like you know, if you're going to go see Jeff Beck, I mean, unless you've got tons of money, it's going to be hard to be in the tenth row yeah. or the fifth row. Whereas it's like you're getting. Not only are you five feet from me, you're five feet from my amp, which uh-huh. is pointed at your head. Mm-hmm. And so, as long as it's not too loud, which I wonder how it's not, but it's not my problem. I have my earplugs in. Right. <laughs> but I wonder if Tim Green has the same experience about about that. Well, he's always got his earplugs in. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I just mean with the audiences when they're into it. I'm sure he's oh, yeah. such a friendly guy. I'm sure that, that that he enjoys that. Yeah. That's a good band too. The band he's in. Yeah. You know. No. I've looked at us as we're more of a collection collection of good players who have collective ADD. But that's you know? actually a band. Actually. Yeah, they're a band. You know, they sound like a band. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're, they're tough to be across the street from. Too five years or something. Yes, and 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 there's certain core musicians in connection that have been there since. I mean, Jeff Tyson got down there in like the mid '80s. That's why I laughed when all of Beat did there. They've been together almost as long as the Beatles. That's right. <laughs> they, have, they just haven't written anything quite so seminal. You know, no, they haven't written it. They haven't written anything at all. But uh, no, I remember when they did the the, the, the RFP did an article some years ago about Bourbon Street, and they it was Gary Brown, who's been there, who was legit. That was legit. <laughs> yeah, that was legit. Brian Lee and. And Pat, Mother Blues, going, and it was like I could have named fifteen people that 
to me, at least to me, were way more Bourbon Street than than, than some of the people on that panel or whatever. Because it was like you're doing you're only doing three three hour shifts a week. It's like, I mean, I'm almost doing your shift in a night. You know, not that I should have been interviewed, but I'm just saying, like, I could name a ton of people who put, who, who could tell you how it's going down there. What a lot is the more. average number of hours you play a week on Bourbon Street? Actual playing time mm -hmm. or time I'm there? Playing time. I would say average 20, 20 to 23 hours of actual playing time. Yeah. Because, I mean, we play two hours and 15 minutes and take a 30-minute break. And then we play another two hours and 15 minutes, unless it's going really well, in which case we'll play three straight hours. And it's like, you know, well, in the old that's a was lot like of 45, 45 15. Okay. So that's all true. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Has the money gotten better? I make more now than when I first started out there. I was made seventeen fifty a set. And that was in 1996. And now, now I make 30. That's me. Not everybody makes that. How, Some people make a little more, and mo most people make less. Than how me. do you feel about the wage out there? I'm fine with it, just because. You know, I, I I don't know. I feel like it evens itself out. I, I know my peers get awfully upset when it's really really crowded out there. Like we, they should get more. And I try to remind them that you know on August eighth, when there's nine people in here and they're taking a bath, uh, we don't get less. Uh huh. We don't. There are some clubs out there I think that operate that way, but you know I try not to work for them. You know. You know. Uh, and, and so so I'm okay with it uh, you know obviously I'm always into making more money especially since like out there you really are earning money I mean if they paid me by the note you know, they wouldn't be able to afford me because we really we really play and that's what they want out of us too mm -hmm. they're, they're not looking for uh, they're not looking for uh, Tom Petty's band you know where everything is in its place and it's really really together and it's this kind Unless of you're covering Tom Petty. Not even. Which, even when you cover Tom Petty you're supposed to be not supposed to but it's like we we tend to you know really the, the secret for me out there is I try to figure out which songs the singers really like because singers are an emotional bunch and and the, the tunes they really love I try to make sure I play those to the letter to the T like exactly correct and then everything else is fair game. Okay, great. To the point where I will literally, I will work this stuff out at home. Like I will, I will, I will practice something. I, I will literally come up with something I can't do. And I just, I have no fear anymore. Like I will absolutely get out there and screw it up in front of people. Because I'm going to be doing that four nights a week. And three weeks down the road, I can do it acceptably enough. And six months later, I have it. Now it's a part of my style. And then I just, and then I rewrite it again. Like how many, I mean, I Travis pick Brown Eyed Girl as fast as I can go. Like literally as quickly as I can make it in the pocket. Uh -huh. And that's what I, I turn down just a little bit and I just spend the whole time going just because I'm practicing. Uh -huh. 
So you know, just practice. On I another. practice. Oh yeah, I mean, I've improved more as a player, just a physical. Is the drummer good play. enough for you to be? Oh yeah, to, to be he's a savage. To, that's good. So I'm gonna be worried, you know. He's practicing. It's like practicing yeah, that's metronome. You know? <laughs> oh no, no, he's. <laughs> you don't have that situation. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, my drummers in general. All I'm really asking for them is that the, I, when I like my, if somebody asks me what's the most important attribute in a drummer, I would say confidence. Uh-huh. I like drummers who say, "This is where it is." Even if you have to fix it later and be like, oh, I would prefer if it's this way. In the moment, I want someone who's like, it's here. It's 88. You know what I mean? And I'm going to push it to 90 in the solo. It's like, yeah, but you're mostly playing rock and roll music. So sure that's it is. Like, I mean, that's, it's, not like, it's not like a hugely uh, you know, interactive, improvisational situation where you're waiting for the guy to do something that you would respond to. That's exactly right. (laughs) What we really do is learn each other's licks. Yeah. And then play them together. That's what I mean by collective ADD. I see. Is that, um, because, you know, if everybody's doing their own thing, it really really won't work. And and we really will end up getting fired. The fact is that we do it together. If I come up with some dumb idea, then he will match it. When you, uh, are you from here? No. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. <laughs> when did you move to Oz? 19... December of 1995. December 1995, okay. And what brought you down here? I came through town. Um, I came through... I had friends here that moved here in front of me that I knew, musician friends, Mark DeFlorio and Benji, who's good, all this funny. Everybody that, I moved, that moved down here in front of me, they're all gone. But, um... Did you know John Bagnata? I did, but I met them because I I met him after I was here. I met him through that group of people. That's how I met Brent Rose and all those guys uh, because of really through DeFlorio. But uh, so I moved here and then, no, before I moved here, I would travel around the country with a girlfriend. We came through New Orleans in July and it was shit hot and it it was. it, 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 it was everything that July is, you know. I had never been in a place that felt like it. And uh, I went to the Blues Jam at the Rock and Bowl with Mike Sklar. And I remember when I tuned up, I tuned up to E-flat instead of E, and I got uh-huh. thrown off stage by Mike Sklar. My first experience playing in New Orleans was getting tossed off the stage at the Rock and Bowl for not having it <laughs> together wow. and I don't know but that moment uh, that was you know I wouldn't say that was the moment but that was the moment where I started thinking about like maybe this town was a good place for me uh huh you know and I know that sounds silly but it's like there was something about it I, I, I've never I've always had pretty thick skin you know like I, I I realized what I did afterwards I didn't bother re-signing up it was for the gym. it was fine Huh. But then I ended up, uh, yeah, I, I came through town. I was just like, you know, this is a place I got to be. And, you know, up to that point, I was a very cerebral player. Like why? What, what do you mean by that? I, you know, I, got a, I started late, and I was, a, I was a music student in college as I was kind of learning guitar. And, you know, that whole a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Well, you know, that's I, a weird thing. So you started guitar in college. In kind of, school. yeah, pretty much. 
wow, that's very odd. It is odd to start as late as I did, 17. Especially on you guitar, know. you know, yeah. So, I mean, and especially under a college format. Yeah, you know? although I didn't play guitar in class as much. I just had a general music degree, but it was like, it was my instrument. Where was your general music degree from? Duke. What, what did you go in as an instrumentalist? Or no, you went in, you I went in, in as a track athlete, and I my arch collapsed, and I hurt, I strained my ligaments in my ankles like really badly. I have horse ankles, like my father. And, you know, also you know, college athletics is. I mean, I, I'm sure if you're a football player at Division One, it's pretty sweet, but it's pretty rough, man. I mean, you get up, go to practice, you go to class, you go to practice. You do your homework, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, you go to practice in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I was starting to play guitar and I was starting to hate running. You know okay. what I mean? And so I. I so well, then you switched into the music program. I did. As a guitar, I mean, as, as an instrumentalist or what, what? Or just as a general music? General music degree. This is what they had to do. That's what they have, yeah. And what kind of stuff were they showing you? They, they, uh. At first, the reason I got hooked on it is I took music theory. And this guy comes walking in. He was a world-famous harpsichordist. It was Robert Hill. It's hard to be world-famous, but in the harpsichord world, he yeah. was well-known. He came it. in, he came came in, he looked over to the class, and he walked over to the piano. And again, similar to maybe the Bourbon Street guy seeing me, I'd never seen anyone play that well from that distance Yeah. on the piano. He was so goddamn good. And then he stopped, and he's just like, He's like, why does it work? I'll tell you why it works. Music theory. He's like, somebody sing me a popular song, you know. Somebody sang in the Star Trek theme. He wrote it out from, somebody whistled it and he wrote it on the staff. Yeah. From the air and and then uh, showed that how, you know, the interval of a minor seventh that starts the piece yeah. is uh, unresolved. So you're going somewhere and then it does the octave. You've arrived somewhere and that hooked me for good just that I was just like the, the idea that the two notes this far apart can can have a, a purpose beyond just like oh that sounds good you know like oh this is unresolved so I'm going to use it here and this is resolved so I'm going to use it here and so you know we we did a ton of that I can remember some that your first the first thing was about the minor seventh interval. It's the first thing up. <laughs> yeah, Star Trek minor seventh. Star Trek minor seventh. This got it all started for me, and, you know. And and you know, we did a lot of a lot of Haydn uh, score looking at because um, there's a lot of symmetry in Haydn. Good symmetry, you know what I mean? And so I was very so you're on the idea of structure. And I love the idea of, uh, no matter how crazy your idea is, as long as it has form on some level, even if it's esoteric, this notion of a governing principle, I, I just, I'm still hooked on. To this. So you're like a German composer on Bourbon Street. Yes, although I was told by my composition teacher in New York that I have a French personality. So I had a German guy with a French personality. Why did you believe him? Um, because I, I think I know what he meant. Like, he said that my, uh, uh, I guess I have moments in my work that, that are very, uh, you could almost look at them as frivolous. You know, they're just kind of like, 
Like, it is very structured, and then it'll get to this point, and it'll just kind of float around for a little while, and I guess he told me that that's French. Very French. You know, it's very Ravel and very, you know, which I actually, as a listener, I, I really do like all those guys. I like Ravel and Debussy and Messiaen and, and uh, Poulenc. And I like all those guys. You can ask my poor son. He has to listen to that all yeah. the time. Oh, Dad! Yeah, I, I would pity, I'd pity my imaginary son. If he, <laughs> <laughs> he gets it all, though. I, I, we switch off in the car, too, you know, as to who uh-huh. gets What does he put on? He likes Queen and David Bowie and Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. And that's great. You can be so. You, so he puts on music, and you're practicing for your <laughs> your yeah. gig on purpose. Also, that's all the music I liked as a kid too. Right. So it's like I've gotten to revisit some of it 